Okay, Greg, your message, it sort of ties into what I'm going to be talking about today. You know, how do you measure belief, true belief, of whether a person actually is, is willing to go all the way in a relationship with God? And I, I sort of want to look at the church as a proving ground for that, to see just how far a person is um, willing to go. I mean, I've never really thought of the church as that, and I'll explain it more in detail, that... Uh, the church very well is to offer a, a proving ground to, for people to, you know, discern just how far they will go in their belief. Is it just superficial, or is it a real belief in God? So what I want to talk about today is the people that God may send to our church. Or if you're listening to this tape or CD, your church. The kind of people that God may send to our church. Now, I talked about last time operation saturation that we're going to be doing with uh, daily, um, not daily, but cable TV, uh, local cable TV, local radio we're going to be doing daily, uh, advertising in the paper, Facebook, promoting the website. This is something that we want to do. And um, yeah, the reason, like I said before, the reason I want to do this is so that, that at least if it doesn't work, I can say, well, God, we did our best in trying to grow a church. Maybe God doesn't have a lot of people in this area. I don't know. That may be the outcome. But at least I can say, well, God, I at least tried my best to make this thing work and uh, to be satisfied with that. Because up until this point, I don't feel like I have been giving it my best. <laughs> I think to grow a church, you've got to be in the right position. You've got to be ready. And I mentioned that you've got to have certain things in place. I mentioned last time that we've got a building. That's great. We've got a local outreach. That's good. We've got a solid foundation. You got to have that. You can't have a church full of nuts. You know, you got to have a solid foundation <laughs> in order to grow a church. <laughs> but I want to read you a story uh, by T.D. Jakes. You've probably heard of him. Entitled "Waiting on Man to Get into Position." This is a, this this story really has always touched me every time I read it. He begins by quoting Genesis 2, and verse 4 and 5, where it says, These are the generations of the heavens of the earth, and when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb in the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Okay, he says, think, listen, listen close to this story. Things must be in place before God will act. The Bible tells us that at the beginning of creation, God did not cause it to rain upon the earth. Now, this does not mean that the earth was without water. Up until this time, God had caused a mist to come up from the earth to give moisture to the earth. earth. But there had been no downpouring from the heavens. Why? Because there was not a man to till the ground. No need to send the rain if there's not a man to till the ground. Things, you gotta, everything's got to be in the right position. There are some things that God has planned to do 
has made provision for doing and desires to do that he will not do until man is in the place to receive what God intends to give. The blessings is there in God's safekeeping. It's all there, but man has to be in the right position to receive it. We have to be in the right position to receive God's blessing. But the blessing won't be applied till the need, until man's heart is in a position for God to act according to his own laws of redemption, healing, and deliverance. There are some things that God has in the heavenlies that will not be released until you are in the proper position, spiritually, rash, uh, relational, uh, uh, relationship, emotionally. Oh, you may experience a miss, but in your spirit you have a restlessness, that there must be something more. You have an inner knowledge that you aren't fully where you ought to be. You have an uneasiness. A frustration that causes you to say, you to say, why am I no further than this in my life? Rather than blaming your wife, your parents, your boss, or your race, you are wise to ask yourself, is God waiting on me to be in a different spiritual position before he pours out a blessing on my life? When you are in a line with God and his purpose, he will open up the heavens and cause it to rain on you. You'll experience such an outpouring of God's blessing that you won't know how to contain them. Man, I love that story. And I'm convinced that it can be something small that's not quite right in place. Waiting on man to get into the right position. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It might be a little thing that God is waiting on us to get in the right position. Now I want to talk today what that little thing may be for all of us. It's sort of a mindset. It's a, to some degree, maybe what they call stinking thinking. <laughs> Just not quite looking at things right. Sort of a one-sided view of the way things are. In Matthew 9 and verse 37, Jesus said this, then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now, the labors are few. That's probably always been a problem in churches. I almost can guarantee you that. That uh, in our tradition, we have sort of set people up to be lazy, not a laborer, because we've depended on big organizations to do the work for us. Pray and pay. Just pray, send your money, we'll do the work. There is no personal evangelism, there is no personal local outreach. We, you know, and this concept never entered Paul's mind. Paul never did say, well, send me your money and I'll take care of the outreach. It just, that whole concept, never entered his mind. He understood that each individual was responsible for growth in the church. I think organizational structures that don't allow the laborers the freedom to do the work, you know, and until people come out of those organizational structures, the laborers will never be able to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit the way God wants. It's just not going to happen. 
my advice, if you've got a great idea, just do it. You know, um, there's all kinds. I've heard people mention in this church things that we need to do. Greg has mentioned you know, before, like, like helping, maybe helping the poor or something like that, you know. But if you've got an idea, just do it, um, as long as it don't involve me. Uh, <laughs> now, the reason I say that is I can't take on any more stuff. But if you've got a great idea and you can muster up the resources to do it and, and funds or whatever, then, then, then do it. Uh, just, just go out and do it. Um, Sometimes what holds us back is thinking, I've got to get permission. I've got to get permission to do this. Well, no, you need to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's what you need to do. But regardless, J Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. Do you believe that? It says the harvest. What we're looking for is plenteous. Here, here, churches of God, they're, they're sitting here, and a lot of them are waiting to die. They're like waiting to die off. I mean, it's like, what's going on here? Nothing's going on. And this says the harvest is plenteous. Now, the one-sided view is, is of the harvest. We have a sort of a, that stinking thinking is that one-sided view of the harvest and who God may send here that keeps us from real blessings, the real blessings of God. When we think of the harvest, follow me. Wrap your minds around it. When we think of the harvest, we think of the first fruits, the chosen, those who want to enter into covenant with God, the elect of God, heirs of salvation. That's who we want to come here. That's the harvest. And so when a new person comes to our church, we think, Oh, that person must be the first fruit. He must be the chosen. He wants to enter into covenant. He wants to, you know, God's offering them salvation. In some cases, I think we have actually ran off people because we sort of jumped the gun and just pushed them too, too, too fast, too far, and expecting and thinking, well, they're the first fruits. They want to enter into covenant with God. They're, God's calling them. They're, they're being offered salvation. Not necessarily true. This is not necessarily true. I'm talking about the kind of people that God may send here. Give you an example. A letter just recently that I got. He says, uh, So many of your messages have really opened my mind to look at the Bible in a whole new way. He, he's speaking to me. Here, this is a guy that, that, that has written me. You are so right when you say you can't tell religious people anything. They don't want to hear any thoughts that are not in line with their traditional church teaching. In listening to you, here's the point I want to come to, I think that I fall into the category of religious but not called. Now, I was taken aback by that statement that this person sort of views himself as religious but not called. And, I, and all of a sudden I started realizing, suppose that's true. Suppose there are people who are sort of just fed up with their church. It's just not giving them what they want. Are we willing to minister to these people? Do they have to be the elect, the called, the chosen, the ones that want to enter into covenant? You know, do they have to be that? No, they don't have to be that. 
Are we willing to humble ourselves and to minister to these people who may not, you know, for all we know, you, know, you really don't know, in time they may come around. Are we willing to minister to ordinary people who desire a deeper understanding of God, who realize they're not getting this at their local church, ordinary people who may not be chosen, may not feel like they're the elect, and the thought of entering into a covenant may be way over their head. And for that matter, God may not be offering them salvation right now. I don't know. We don't know, at least not yet. Are we willing to minister to the ordinary people that come here? Just ordinary people. Matthew 22 and verse 14, fascinating statement. Matthew 22 and verse 14, many are called, you know this verse, many are called, but few are chosen. Think about this. Before the chosen are revealed, you must minister to many ordinary people. And out of the many ordinary people, only a few are chosen. Think about that. Now, when I consider the world of churchianity, I realize that there are many people who know something is missing. Their religion seems empty. God seems unreal and far, far away. You know, when I mentioned last time we met that I don't see any reason why this church isn't full of people, I base that on the statements that Jesus made himself. He said, first of all, he said, many are called. The harvest truly is plenteous. Pray the Lord the harvest that he will send laborers into the harvest. Now, there is an attitude among people in the church that goes something like this. Well, we're just waiting on God. There's really nothing we can do. We're just waiting on God to send us the first fruits, the chosen, those that the elect of God, heirs of salvation. We're, we're just waiting on God to send us some people. Because there's not if God wants to send them here, he'll send them. If God's calling them, he'll call them. If not, you know, and it's sort of an attitude of, we're just waiting for God to send us someone. That's not the way it works. And yet I've seen that attitude again and again in churches. We're just waiting for God to send us. You know, we're here. Send us, God, your chosen ones. <laughs> the elect. And yet many of these churches, if you ask them, okay, do you have any local outreach in your area? No. Uh... Do you have a plan set in place to minister to them once they come? No. You know, one of the things I want to start doing, uh, I think on the second Sabbath of each month, is what is called training disciples, which is part of the Great Commission, to go and train disciples. I want to go through that every, I think it's every second month of, of, of the uh, second month, <laughs> second week of each month to go through that. Do you, and if you ask, okay, do you, do you have any, any type of educational administration to teach them the law of God? You know, I think of all the stuff. I've actually worked on some of these. 
new, more booklets I'm going through with the tapes, CDs, I came up with one on prophecy. People love prophecy. And I dug through and I found some great titles here. I just put them all together. The Test of a Prophet, Prophecy, the Basics, Understanding Biblical Prophecy, Who's Who in Prophecy. These, these, this is a collection from Ron Dart and, and CE, uh, CEM, uh, Church of God International, uh, Middle East in Prophecy. So, you know, so we've got people that want, I want more on prophecy. Here you go. Here's your book. This one I put together I thought was very good. Judaism and the Christian. We've had that issue brought up before. I found a bunch of tapes, uh, CDs, Christian Pharisees, you know, we, if we, you know, uh, Christian and Judaism, the fallacy of Christian Judaism, whole set here. If we have that issue again, I can say, listen to this. Listen to this. I don't have to explain it. You know? <laughs> the Sabbath, Christian Holy Days, all kinds of just excellent material to, once people come here, they can take this material and grow in their relationship with God. This is important stuff to have. But again, sometimes the attitude, we're just waiting on God to send us the elect to our church. The one-sided view of the harvest I th that keeps us from, you know, the blessings of God. Many are called, but few are chosen. And out of that many that are called, only a few are chosen. So when we consider that, okay, many are called. Like I said, there, there is, as far as people coming through the church, and I may not stay here, but we should really have many people that come through this church. They may not stay here. They may or may not stay here. But your Bible says many, many. I want you to think of the church, this building, sort of like a halfway house, like a filtration system where people come to, a proving ground that God himself uses as an instrument maybe to decide who, he's going, who, who the chosen will be. I mean, think about that a halfway house, a proving ground to discern who really believes, how far they will go, what kind of belief they have. I mean, it's, it's an unusual concept of a church, really, when you think about it. Now, a lot of people will say, well, God knows all. I mean, there's nothing that we have to do. God already knows who, who he's going to send, you know, who he's going to call. But I don't know. There's two things I want you to consider. One, people have to be tested. They have to be proven. Abraham was tested. And God said, now I know that you fear me. Was God just speaking into the air when he said that? Go sacrifice your son. And Abraham passed the test. And God said, now I know. Did he not know before? Well, you know, you, the reason we go through trials and temptations, and te I mean, it's, it's a proving ground. Sometimes God doesn't know how you're going to respond until you respond. And then God says, okay, that person has chosen that direction. Let's go, let, let's, let me take him, you know, in the direction that I want him to go. After After, yeah, good point. Abraham knew his own heart. And that's important for you to know your own heart where you're going. That you have 
pass the test. That's just as critical as, you know, God understanding it also. <clears throat> Another thing to consider is, you know, when we renew that covenant that we partake of on the 14th, the eve of the 14th, often I have thought the same thing every time. I come to a point where I say, God, I understand why there are so few. I understand why there are so few. Because that's, um, you know, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When you, when you partake of that covenant, renew that covenant, you know, there's several things that's going on there. Jesus said, whosoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Think about that. I don't even know if I've measured up to that point yet. <laughs> Forsaking all that I have. You know, you, you think about well, what does that mean to forsake all that you have? Well, I think it means a complete commitment to God. Another thing, when we take that, renew that covenant, there, the option of turning back is not available. You ever thought about that? There is no turning back. Well, you can turn back, but as Sandy said, what happens is you'll get an all-expense free pay vacation to the lake. <laughs> the lake of fire. <laughs> that's the option, you know, that's, what, that's the choice if you turn back. So think, I mean, often when we, we come here, I think, man, I understand why there are few that are chosen. So think about that. Before the chosen are revealed, you must first minister to many ordinary people. And out of the many ordinary people, maybe only a few are chosen. Now, I want to mention something here about the Old Covenant, and I'll tie this in toward the end, that is easy to overlook. Under the Old Covenant, let's take a look at this. Leviticus 26 and verse 3. Leviticus 26 and verse 3. I want to look at what's not mentioned in the Old Covenant. Boy, if there's any area that people get confused on, it is Old, New Covenant. What's it about? Most Christians will tell you that, well, the Old Covenant was a bunch of laws that no one could keep. And in the New Testament, I mean, the New Covenant, God dismissed all that. And you only have two laws, love your neighbor and love God. And they don't realize that's a summation of the Ten Commandments. The first four tell us how to love God, and the last six tell us how to love our fellow man. So, so Jesus is not saying, I got two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, and you figure out how to do that. No. It's a summation of a, a summary of the Ten Commandments. That's, uh, you know. But there is that teaching that, okay, the New Covenant dismisses the law of God. Just receive and believe. Just believe and receive. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Let's notice this old covenant. Leviticus 26 and verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and your threshings and your, uh, shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safe, uh, safely. And I will give you peace in your land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of your land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred shall ch put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. 
For I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. What's interesting about this is, is the old covenant is this. The old covenant was not about spiritual salvation. It was physical blessings. If you, God says, if you obey me, my commandments, I will in return bless you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you from your enemies. I'll provide. In, incredible. You obey my voice and I will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But it was really not about offering sal uh, spiritual salvation. That's where the new covenant comes in. And a lot of people, that's a critical point to realize. That the old covenant, it was blessings for God. You obey my voice, I'll bless you. The new covenant, God says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. And I'm going to write my laws upon your heart and mind. And you're going to be to me a people. And I'm going to be your God. And because you are my children, I'm going to offer you eternal life. Salvation. Don't ever forget that point. Old covenant was really not about salvation. Now, were there people saved under the old covenant? Few, yes, few and far between, I would say. David said, take not your spirit from me. So we know David had the spirit of God. And so the spirit worked through individuals here, there, and yonder. But it was really not. It was about blessings. You obey my voice, I'll bless you. That was the agreement. That was the covenant. Of course, they didn't keep their part of the covenant. We all know that. <clears throat> but what I want, the reason I'm bringing this up is this. Even though the old covenant was not about salvation... God cared enough to give them his law so that they could in return, so that their life would work and they could be blessed. What does that tell you about God? Really wasn't about salvation, but God cared enough to give them his law in order that their life may work. Now again, I'm asking, you know, the kind of people that God may send. Ordinary people who desire a deeper understanding of God who realize they're not getting that in their local church, are we willing to minister to these people? Do we care enough to give them and teach them about God's law in order that their lives may be blessed? I mean, think about it. Where else are they going to find this? If they go to a, a, a normal church, they're going to be told, well, the old covenant was a bunch of laws you couldn't keep, and uh, the new covenant, uh, Jesus did away with all that. Just believe and receive. So, I just want us to consider this, that the kind of people that God may be sending to our church. Because, you know, <clears throat> when I consider the nature of God, that God, under that old covenant, cared enough about these people to teach them, to give them his law, that he wanted their lives to work. And so, People that come here, do we want their lives to work? Can we show them how to make their lives work? I think so. And to minister to them, and if we're willing to deal with the many that God is calling, and I think there are many that God is calling, if we serve them, if we minister to them, if we teach God's way, God's law, out of that, you're going to see people who are actually that God wants to bring into the fold, that God wants to call, that the elect of God will find out as long as we're there for them, is what I'm saying. 
as long as we are there for them. So hopefully this is part of the goal of the church and what we're doing here. So <coughs> um, I think I'll, I think that's all I want to say. Let me add this. And to think of the church, this building, as a proving ground to, to figure out that, that God himself can use the church as an instrument to see, you know, does this person just believe or do they really believe in me? And are they willing to do, are they willing to go all the way? Okay. Okay. <coughs>